Life Audio. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations. We want families to come here and gain insightful strategies that empower them to successfully teach diverse learners at home. Hosted by founder and CEO of Sped Homeschool, Peggy Ployer. Our goal is that these powerful weekly conversations will boost your confidence to cultivate the best at-home learning environment for your student. For more homeschool resources, go to spedhomeschool.com. You're listening to Empowering Homeschool Conversations with Peggy Ployer. We'll start the conversation with Peggy and her guests next. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations, provided by Sped Homeschool, a nonprofit that empowers families to home educate diverse learners. To learn more, visit spedhomeschool.com. Here's Peggy Ployer. Hey, we are going to talk about homeschooling when grieving the loss of a child. This month, we are focusing on community stories from the depths of valleys to um, to new heights is kind of what we're we're focusing these these conversations on, and um, we're just hoping that the homeschool veterans that we have on our shows this month will just bring you encouragement um, and meet you uh, maybe in some of the struggles that you're going through right now. And my guest is a returning guest, Nichelle Nelson. Welcome back, Nichelle. Thank you. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. Yes, I I thank you for and I had thanked Michelle when we had popped on earlier before the show just um, for her willingness to talk about a, a really difficult time in her life and her family's life. And um, she has so much wisdom and encouragement and tips and advice to give to families who are going through grief. And we talked beforehand that, you know, maybe you've never lost a child. Maybe you have another family member that you've lost or you're, you have a loss of some dreams um, for your child, which I know a lot of people in our community do. This conversation is for you. Um, I just want you to, um, to pull up a comfy chair and and um, and join us for this time, because um, Nichelle has a lot of things that God has taught her through this journey, and I I I am certain that you will gain something that will empower you in your homeschool journey ahead, as well as your your life um, and your walk with God. So um, so Nichelle, I would just love to to start out this conversation with you just giving a little bit of background about yourself and your family, and um, so our audience can get to know you a little bit more. All righty. Wonderful. Well, uh, again, thank you for having me. 
Um, yes. My husband is retired Air Force, and uh, we met uh, when uh, he got stationed to my hometown of Colorado Springs, and uh, we began as 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 young couples do, dream building. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, creating in our minds, you know, these, this future family that yes. we have. And so we immediately moved to uh, the Azores, Portugal. Um, wow. And that spent our first three years of marriage uh, there. And our firstborn daughter, Adrian, was born on that on the island of, of Tercera. Um, and we... Uh, did a lot of praying uh, about what uh, what educational you know choices that we were going to have uh, right about whether or not I was going to be a working mom or stay at home mom you know all of those choices. Uh, well, it wasn't until we moved to Germany a few months. I think we moved to Germany when she was about eight months old when we met our first homeschool family. Uh, and so we were uh, exposed to the homeschool community uh, and and decided that that was the path that we were going to go, not only for Adrian, but for future children that we were going to have. Um, so long story story uh, short, we had four children in four countries. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's an adventure in itself. <laughs> we spent 12 years living overseas. And in uh, 1999, my husband retired from the Air Force and we settled uh, in uh, just outside of Austin, Texas. Um, something that had happened when Adrian was four, um, we had come back to the States. I think we were, we were stationed in Germany at that time. We'd come back to the States and had attended a Christian conference. And at that conference, uh, Adrian witnessed worship dancing for the first time. Ah. And I mean, she was so determined to get out in the aisle and dance with them that she almost kicked me trying to get, trying to get out. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, little girl, you know, uh, but I had no idea that burning calling that she had. Wow. So um, she was exposed to it in, in different forms. I used to dance as a teenager. So when, uh, when she was uh, probably about eight or nine, uh, I would choreograph little dances for her. Well, oh. What a blessing and how uh, much a part of her calling was when we came to the Austin, Texas area, we were immediately um, put into position for her to develop relationship with two wonderful mentors in worship dance. Oh, um, that's amazing. She, uh, so by the time she was 12, she had danced with several worship dance teams. She had developed her own worship dance ministry. Uh, she was a solo. She was invited to other churches. I mean, like our calendar was wow. full <laughs> of all of these, uh, you know, dates for her to dance different places. Um, so uh, December of 2002, um, she, I, I, the, the only thing that I remember that may have changed physically was that she was beginning to pick up a little weight, but you know, I think she was 12 getting ready to be 13. Right. All those hormones. You just yeah. don't do kind of, yeah, seems normal. <laughs> right. So I, her dance teacher, you know, mentioned something to me, you know, like, you know, we may want to start controlling our appetite, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, dance costumes only come in certain sizes, <laughs> you know, uh, but other than that, nothing, nothing at all. So, December, so her her birthday, she was actually born on Christmas Day. Aww. So she was turning 13, December 25th of 2002. And two days before uh, her birthday, uh, we had planned a, a Christian bat, mit, bat mitzvah. Uh, huh. It was like a, a, a our own rite of passage ceremony. Uh, yeah. She had already had a relationship with the Lord, but this was kind of of her ability to dedicate her teen years uh, to the Lord. That and is so cool. I love that. And three other girlfriends, uh, a set of twins and, and another young lady 
all, uh, you know, ministers, children. Uh, they were all, you know, all grew up in church. At this time, Adrian was 12. Uh, our second born was 10. Our son, our second born daughter was 10. Our son was four. And our our youngest was two. Um, so uh, December 23rd, my we were waiting. My mom was coming in. My mom and stepfather were coming in. This is going to be like a big family function. Uh, so I was out hanging Christmas lights and she came out, uh, came out the garage door and she said, mom, I have a headache. That was hmm. the first symptom, the very first symptom. 21 days later, she was gone. Wow. From a brain tumor that we were only aware of for 72 hours. We had gone through three weeks of, of, of misdiagnoses, going back and forth to the pediatrician, um, but no, literally no other precipitating symptom. Um, over the course wow. of that three weeks, her eyes began to cross. She was sleepy all the time. Uh, she couldn't keep anything down. Um, her gait was uh, which was very disconcerting. As a dancer, she was always very much in control of her right. body. Uh, so for her to shuffle as she walked, um, uh, you know, I kept, I was talking in communication with her dance teacher, like, have you noticed anything? She said, absolutely not. Um, so. Oh, what a shock. It's three just weeks. Yeah. so quick. And and with no no sign of anything, but no, but God no. had prepared her heart. Um, I believe so. So while she was hospitalized, she uh, we had we had only one cell phone then, um, <laughs> and she kept asking for the phone. Now we had been in the United States for uh, maybe three years, um, so our community, our family, our extended family was still kind of back in Okinawa and in different wow. parts of the country yes. because we're a military family. So they were all over. So she was taking the phone and she was, well, well, before I tell you that, um, yeah. when we got the diagnosis, uh, my husband and I were kind of holding the phone between us. Our pediatrician was not with us. She was talking to us over the phone. Um, and she told us that uh, Adrian had a brain tumor. Of course, I immediately fell apart. Right. And Adrian said to me, Mom, I am not going anywhere. But if I do go, I'm going to be with Jesus. Oh. And that was like all of the, that was all of the grief she would allow me in front of her at that, at that time. And so she was... Uh, calling people, talking to people on the phone, you know, everyone wanted to, you know, talk to her and everything. And she would just, was just telling people to pray for her. Just pray for me. Just wow. pray for me. Just pray for me. So her faith was absolutely evident, absolutely uh, uh, on display. Uh, yeah. She was uh, a, a light to so, so many people. After a word from our sponsor, we'll dive back into this conversation. This is Empowering Homeschool Conversations, provided by Sped Homeschool. Go to spedhomeschool.com to get resources and support for teaching your unique learner at home. At the same time, uh, because sometimes grief is compounded, uh, I was very close to my mother's mother. Uh, my maternal grandmother, uh, my mother was very young when she had me and my maternal grandmother kind of filled that bond. Huh, uh -huh. Uh, so Adrian went into ICU on one day and in Kansas on the very following day, my grandmother went into ICU oh, wow. and she went into ICU. Uh, she ended up being intubated. She was grabbing family members hands, asking them, trying to find out how Adrian was. Wow. Uh, so in the midst of this, she's worried about Adrian. My mother is in Colorado and she's trying to decide, do I oh, go to Texas so to be with my yes. firstborn granddaughter 
or do I go to Kansas to be with my mother? So my uncle, who is a pastor, made the decision that everyone needs to go to Texas and support Michelle and her family. And so great aunts and uncles and uh, uh, all of my family, with the exception of him who stayed in Kansas with my Aww. grandmother, they all came here. <laughs> and the morning of Adrian's funeral, we received the news that my grandmother had also passed. Wow. That's so, a lot of loss in a very short a lot, amount of time. A lot. Oh, just grief for you. And, you know, just thinking about how much that was to process in, yes. in such a short amount of time. Because yes. um, you really didn't have time to really grieve ahead of time. None. So the grieving had to happen then on afterwards the on uh, the spot too, yes. I actually think that it, to a certain extent, I must have compartmentalized it because hmm. um, so uh, my grandmother's funeral was five days after uh, my daughter's. And um, I must have, and I used to always say, I would have talked to Adrian about losing Mama Deer. Hmm. And I would have talked to Mama Deer about losing Adrian. Oh, wow. Um, and so I kind of put my guy, I had to live in the house that Adrian lived in. So I could kind of distance myself for a moment from right. my grandmother. But I remember, and, and, and uh, many times scientists will tell you uh, that real grief begins to kick in about three months because your mind is still trying to come up with alternate yeah, exactly. Alternate, yes. you know, mm -hmm. maybe they're they're gone on a trip. You know, I'll see them soon. You know, that's a, your mind is is trying still trying to process that. And I remember three months later opening a drawer and seeing my grandmother's obituary and thinking, well, when did this happen? And wow. why didn't anybody tell me? Because I was my daughter, my second daughter, and I always have this. Um, so many people came in and out of our house for the first three months after Adrian oh. passed that I had no idea. I had no memory. Uh, and people had to tell me, yeah, I, I, I've been to your house. And so I started saying, was I here? Did I talk to them? Um, <laughs> the mind does a number of tricks to try to hold yeah. this grief and to try to process it. And so to have compound grief, compounded grief. Right was yes. definitely, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't think that I could say that I was fully aware, probably, I, I want to say, I, I really want to say like for the first five years, uh, because I, I was uh -oh. going back and forth between mm. uh, Greece and we had other things, of course, that happened at that time and life still happens. Which, right, which exactly, because you had younger kids that yes. were, were trying to go through the same process. And exactly. um, I know we talked a little bit ahead of time, you know, just you had told me it's hard to help other people process when you don't even know how to do it yourself. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, and so how did you start that process just for yourself and, and going through what you needed to grieve? So... Um, one of the things that had happened to us when we were in Okinawa is that um, we had suffered a miscarriage. And uh, our pastor had said, uh, had called me one day and he said, uh, you know, I know that this is a very difficult time, uh, but you are stronger in your faith than many others. Would you be available to minister to other uh, sisters in the church who have also lost a child. And so that began a, a, a relationship, a friendship that I still have to this day uh, with a, a, a woman named Denise. Um, she miscarried very shortly after I did. Uh, and then we got pregnant again at the same time. Aww. And I delivered our healthy son uh, in February of 1998. And in May of 1998, she delivered her son far too soon. And he lived about a month. Wow. And so she became somehow, I don't know if it was the military, but 
she became acquainted with an organization, which is a nationwide organization, and your listeners can definitely uh, find uh, this organization uh, on uh, the internet, The Compassionate Friends. Yes. And, and I will compass- list that in the description, too, of the of the show so that you can just click on that link. Yes. So Denise introduced me to the Compassionate Friends, which is an organization that is specifically devoted to parents who have lost a child. We have a word in the English language for a person who has lost a spouse. We call them a widow or a widower. Right. Yes. Uh, we have a word for a child who has lost their parents, an orphan. But we have no word mm. for a parent who has lost a child. The last thing that we ever expect to happen in life is to bury a child. We always expect that our children will bury us. I always knew that one terrible day I was going to have to live in this world without my grandmother. Right. But I never, ever expected that I was going to have to live in this world without my firstborn child or any of my children for that matter. Right. Um, so we found a local organization of uh, a local chapter of the Compassionate Friends. And my husband and I uh, attended the first meeting, probably, I want to say, uh, within, I know it was in the first six to eight weeks, um, because we because we had other children. Right. Because we couldn't we did not have the luxury <laughs> mm-hmm. to just stop because everything in us wanted to just stop oh absolutely stop, stop the world um and we couldn't do that and so we uh, attended i remember some of the first few meetings that we attended uh some of the people had been it had been uh, uh, you asked me uh before we started, like how many years it had been since Adrian, it's been 20 years. Um, We needed to speak to people who had, were five years out, 10 years out, 15 years out, Mm -hmm. because we needed to learn how, uh, uh, it's this grief is, this hole is never going to go away. How do we live with it? How do we continue to move forward knowing that we have this hole. Um, And they were very helpful, very helpful uh, in learning uh, different, uh, different ways to uh, another thing that we had discussed earlier uh, was my favorite definition of grief. Yes. I'd love for you to share that is love with nowhere to go. We Hmm. have spent, we spend so much time pouring into uh, those that we love. Uh, I can remember uh, several months after Adrian's funeral, going to the cemetery and being so angry with God, just so angry and saying to him, I did as a mom, I did every single thing you asked me to do. I bathed this body. I washed her hair. I taught her, I was her homeschool mom. I, I taught her to read. I taught her to pray everything. I did everything you asked me to do. And everything that I have done is now lying in this dirt. Hmm. And I felt his response was you cared for her body, but the most important thing that you did was to teach her about me. So her body may be in this dirt, but she's yes. Oh, that's that beautiful. was so mm-hmm. comforting, so comforting. Those were the types of things that I needed to learn along right. the way. I needed oh, to wow. learn that I wasn't alone. I needed to learn that, um, you know, one day I sat and I thought, there have been bereaved parents on this earth since Adam and Eve. Yes. Uh, because many times when we enter a difficult season, we feel we're the only ones who have ever Absolutely. been. Here. Yes. And it's so oh, untrue. That is such an attack of the enemy that, yes, that you are absolutely. all alone. Yeah. We talked about the concept of mirroring. Yes. And I'd love for you to talk about that. One, so as humans, we 
uh, as as babies, we learn to mirror facial expressions. We mm-hmm. may, we learn to mirror emotions. We learn to mirror these things. The Bible tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn and to weep with those who weep. Absolutely. That this is why we have public funerals so that we can see that grief on one another's face. We have public weddings so we can see that joy and baby showers. So we right. see that joy on one another's face. We need that mirroring. And so grief support groups, um, you know, sometimes people, I think they get a bad rap that, that, that maybe that means that I'm weak or oh. maybe that means that I, uh, that there's some fault in me. No, you need that mirroring. You need Absolutely. to know that someone, uh, that someone is burying the same, it may not be the same grief. Um, and, and that's another thing that we've learned, even grief within one family, um, the, the loss of a mother-daughter relationship is not the same as the loss of a father-daughter relationship. It's right. not the same as a, the loss of a sister. Um, mm-hmm. Those individual relationships are grieved separately because the relationships themselves are separately. And so being able to be in a support group and to hear something that might be similar, some, uh, some experience that might be similar, something similar in the relationship lets us know, I, I, you know, I can, I can, it's difficult, but I can do it. I can bear it. And so that's, that, that hope that that is there that other people can bring in um, just by sharing their stories and and you know even if they don't have answers they're they're right. there and they they can experience the depth mm-hmm. of what you've experienced where most people who you know really want to be compassionate and come alongside you can't right. um, and that those types of groups are that's why they're so successful is be yeah. just just because you you can be yourself, you can release those emotions, be mm-hmm. real about how you feel. And I mean, God created us to feel. And it's not that it's wrong that we grieve. We have to go through that process and um, and really kind of just take that path like your, your family did and you did um, mm-hmm. in order to, to really understand him and his just how he wanted to, to use that circumstance with your family and each individual. I, I, I've never thought about it, how differently different individuals because of a relationship would grieve. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for sharing, sharing that because, um, as you know, how, how was it different between your grief and your husband's grief and then also the grief of your children? Uh, one thing that is different, of course, is is in the way that we express it. Um, I was in a terrible, terrible college class uh, where uh, the woman who was uh, basically saying, well, it's it, at the time it was 2020. It's 2020 and men just need to learn how to cry. And this this 19 year old in the back of the room held up his hand and he said, you know, my father and I, we we expressed our grief in in providing. In uh, you know, we knew all these family members were going to come, and so we set up chairs and tables and things like that. And she totally dismissed that. Um, it, it is important oh. to give space, yes, to others for how their grief is expressed. Not everyone cries. Right. Or at least not everyone cries publicly. Um, and learning how that there are different modalities of grieving, um, but you only learn to recognize them. Sometimes it, sometimes the mirroring is not good because we think that someone in that mirroring should be doing the same thing that we are. And yeah. uh, it, it, we definitely learned um, that we need to allow for the end of, because the relationships were individual. We need to allow for the individual expressions of grief. Um, and that's another, another plus for grief support organizations because um, they are full of ideas. Hmm. Uh, so we were, uh, 
let me say one thing before I talk yeah. about another organization. Um, I talked a bit about compartmentalizing. Yes. Adrian died in the middle of the school year. And I still had, a, I think, kindergarten or first grader and a sixth grader. Um, how do you continue with this curriculum that says, you know, ask, you know, ask your students. I've gone from two, cause I would teach them history on the same level. I've teach them science on the same level, you know, math and of course math and uh, I think it, language might've been individual. Right. But now I'm only ask, asking one person. So I immediately had to change curriculum. Yeah. I had to find a different kind of curriculum. Uh, so that went out. I also had to allow time. Uh, it was it was a, a bit before we could just get back into, not even to get back into the routine we had, but to create a new one. Absolutely. It's the we, dynamics changes when you have different age kids, and yeah. that happened abruptly to you, not something that you could really plan. Right. And just giving yourself the time to figure out what, what is that going to look like? And, and while you're going through this process of not only grieving your daughter, but your, your grandmother and, and everything else that, that just had changed overnight for you. Had to change our schoolroom. Hmm. had to change the bedroom that our, our, our daughter, our second daughter had never slept in a room that her sister had not been in. Wow. Uh, so and and so you know you asked about the difference in relationships that kind that kind of grief that sister relation, relationship was almost like a widow a widower like she wow. had she was born with a partner in crime mm. yeah. uh, they, were 20, <laughs> they were 20 months apart uh and so uh to go from this double to single in every aspect she talked about uh going into restaurants and uh, always getting sit seated next to the empty chair, you know, because tables, uh -huh. uh, restaurant, uh, that seat, table seat six, and we had been a family of six, and now we were a family of five. Well, we're still, actually, we're still a family of six, mm -hmm. but with a missing person. Um, and so being conscious of going into a restaurant and making sure we, we actually ended up uh, what it ended up doing is half of our family is, well, two of us are left-handed and the okay. rest are right-handed. So we ended up, and to this day, the lefties sit on one side of the table and the right <laughs> is on the other. That way, she never had to worry about sitting next to the empty chair. Oh. So, you know, there are so many things. So I wanted to make sure that, uh, well, so my father-in-law had planned to stay. Uh, but because my grandmother passed, uh, he went home and he came back a few months later. And I remember him sitting down and having this conversation with me um, and telling me about a family that he knew um, where uh, it was actually a, a woman who had lost both of her parents. And she pretty much shut down. Like she could not mm -hmm. continue uh, to function because she mm. had lost her. I mean, this was, this is a grown woman. And he said, I want to make sure that you are able to still be here for these children, to still, uh, parent these children. And so I, because of that conversation, I began to definitely continue the process of compartmentalizing my grief mm. where I would save my grief for Adrian. I would save my thoughts of Adrian for the last thing before I went to sleep at night after the house was quiet, after sometimes I would walk the house uh, while everyone else was asleep. And that was my time with Adrian mm. uh, after everyone was going to sleep. But so that in the daytime, I didn't, and it just things still thinking about the concept of mirroring. I didn't want my children to grow up seeing their mother with a frown on her face all the time. Right. I wanted them to to know that joy can still happen in the midst of sorrow. 
Um, and so I learned to compartmentalize that grief. That's another uh, benefit of grief support groups because uh, it got to be where it was two, twice a month. Uh, I think then we took it down to once a month. I knew that at le- that whatever date that grief support group was on, I knew that I would be able to go there and pour everything out. I could cry as much as I needed to. They would, in, in both of them, there was always something in your hand that you would hold. Um, hmm. the, so a year after the Compassionate Friends, we found out about a local uh, support yeah. group that specifically ministered to children. And oh, my children so important. Go yes. And, um, my daughter was able to connect with another teenage girl who was also grieving. She had actually lost her father, but there was someone their age that they could mirror. Right. Um, and so this particular support group had this very smooth little purple heart. It was uh, uh, named for their daughter. The, the founders had named it for their daughter uh, and everything about it was purple. And so we would pass around this purple heart. And while we had the heart in our hand, we could empty out everything. The things that we could not express on the job. Uh, and, you know, sometimes uh, there's such a thing as compassion fatigue. Yes. Sometimes yep. Friends may only walk with you for a little bit. And then they can't handle it anymore. And there were many relationships that uh, ended um, for us. uh, People who could not handle our level of grief. Uh, Hmm. Some people told us, some people just ghosted us. Wow. And that that's compounded grief. Right. Exactly. Because then you're just you're losing your community on top of of losing the, the person that you originally you know, we're grieving over and yeah, but, but it is, it's, it's such a deep grief. And if you've never been in that place and understand that it's, it's hard to, to be compassionate for the amount of time that really you need that compassion. You need that community in order to, to surround you. And, and so finding that support, um, you know, you, you, you keep talking about this and I, I hope that people that are listening are understanding that, um, you know, back to what you talked about, this is not just for people that are weak. Um, it's right. you're if you're going through a hard time that that hope is really hard to hold on to if you're all yes. alone, if you can yes. only do it for so long and, um, and you've got to learn how to reach out and say, I need help. I, I need a community that's mm-hmm. willing to show me how to walk this path. And, and right. I, you had said previously, you know, understanding that people had been there for five years, 10 years, 15 years, and they were still, you know, processing, but they were learning how to live and to thrive with that loss, that, that hole. Um, that is, it's so important because, um, it's, it's a, it's a shift in, Mm -hmm. in your, your entire lifestyle. And it wasn't where you planned to go. And you can either take that path that will, will lead you where, you know, your, your, your father-in-law, or was your father your father-in-law? Father-in-law. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. had said, you know, this is one way you could go. <laughs> you right. know, and you could be like this, this, this one person that just, you know, had had all of this grief they bottled up and it continually yeah. showed on them. Or you can release it in a mm-hmm. healthy way, the way God designed you to do this. And it's right. by walking with others. We were made for community and we have to to grasp onto that. And I'm so, so glad that your kids had found a community as well, because it's hard as a parent, like you said, our our relationships with that person will define our grief and kids will process that much differently, but knowing other kids Mm -hmm. that have been there and are going through that um, has probably gave them the ability to release a lot of things that they didn't understand they were even processing that probably came out in behavior or shutdown, mm-hmm. um, or a whole mix of all of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, definitely. Uh, another, uh, wonderful, uh, uh, camp that my daughter went to, um, they still function, that camp still functions. And 
after she finished graduate school, she actually served on the board of directors and was a volunteer. Oh. And so being able to give back, being able to um, recognize, and especially like, it, it, as you were saying, uh, some of the, the people who had been, uh, it had been five, 10 years or whatever, recognizing that fresh grief, uh, you know, when someone new comes in, sometimes it's a it's a way to validate I was where they are, right? And and I have I have come this far, um, and so it's it's sometimes it's not just for them, right? You know, it's for you as well, just to, yes. to see how far you've come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we um, were talking before the show started, too, you were talking about milestones oh, and yeah. some of those times that grief resurfaces. And I, yeah. if somebody, if you've never lost somebody before, you don't understand how just something can trigger that grief so quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you you had said that there's there was just some milestones recently that right. Right. Um, college graduations, mm-hmm. high school graduations, things that. um that we will never get to do for Adrian. Right. Um, uh, I don't have any, no weddings yet, no grandchildren yet, but all of those life events, new jobs, everything new comes with that underlying sadness of, I wish I could share. Now we, we did, uh, when Adrian was in the hospital, we did uh, start a Caring Bridge page. Many uh, people are, would be familiar with Caring Bridge, particularly if you have uh, someone with a long-term illness and you're trying to keep everybody posted without having to tell the story over and over again. Right. Um, Yes. So for a time uh, I can look back in the guest book uh, that at certain points um, our children, posted there as they grew. Dear Adrian, this happened. Dear Adrian, this happened. Um, And so uh, particularly uh, college graduations, of course, are the most recent. Uh, And there's also, so our youngest was uh, exactly 10 years and five days uh, younger than Adrian. So Adrian was turning 13 uh, on the 25th, on the 20th, our youngest had turned three. She doesn't really, ha- and she, so now she's 23. Right. She doesn't really have her own memories of Adrian. And that in and of itself is grief. Yes, I never uh, thought about that. I also have a cousin whose father, my uncle passed away, uh, he's the same, he's the same age as my second daughter. Uh, my uncle passed away before he was born. So Father's Day, um, you know, seeing uh, his post uh, around uh, around my uncle's birthday uh, for, and he looks exactly like him. Wow. Do you know how difficult it is? So now he's 31. Hmm. Uh, no, 32, turned 32. To have been told for 32 years that you look exactly like someone that you never had the opportunity to meet. Yeah. Similar circumstance with my youngest. My youngest daughter favors uh, Adrian more than my second daughter. Uh, When she was a little girl, uh, Adrian's friends would see her and, you know, (laughs) it was kind of scary. Wow. Those are, you know, those are uncomfortable moments. Uh, but but what I've learned about my cousin's grief and about my youngest daughter's grief is grieving what you didn't have. Yes. Um, we talked earlier about, I have a very close friend whose son was born with uh, uh, very debilitating um, health issues. And right. so she had to grieve the loss of the child that she thought she was going to have. Mm-hmm. Same thing, grieving the loss of what you thought you were going to have uh, in order to embrace what you were given and the blessing right. of what you were given. Um, hmm. And in a, in a certain way, she's still kind of grieving because she feels that, you know, she, she has 
uh, formed support with others, uh, with children with similar disabilities. And she has seen some of them actually pass away. And wow. so there's that fear. Right. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. So uh, and, and we, we talked about having been in a pandemic. Yes. Uh, and lots of loss. My, I, my son mm. and I were both class of 2020 and neither of us got to have a commencement. Um, and you might think, well, that's not a big deal. No, these milestones are very the milestones. Important. Absolutely. They, they mark our path. They are, uh, if you have ever hiked in an unknown area, you know, you need to mark your path uh, because if you're directionally challenged like me, <laughs> you around the same block over, you know, uh, right. you know one of my favorite scriptures is in, in, uh, uh, I think it's Deuteronomy. You have been, you have walked around this mountain long enough. <laughs> I can absolutely relate to that. I don't drive anywhere without my GPS uh, because I can't go not thinking other another aspect of grieving we and we talked about this in our grief support group driving while grieving oh i think probably maybe even a lot of accidents may happen because you cannot it is so difficult to keep your mind on the task uh at hand because uh it it is still trying to process what has happened to you uh oh. another aspect of extended grief is the why. Hmm. Uh, and that why can happen even years later because you can, you know how we say that things are BC and AD, we put everything it, that our frame of reference right. is the, the, the resurrection. That's our frame of reference. Well, the death of a significant loved one is yeah. a frame of reference because mm -hmm. the person that I was before it's not the person that I am now. And sometimes, and maybe even my family members are not the people that they were before. Um, I was talking about my good friend, Denise. We talk about that, that mm. the person, that, the, it, that there's also, we've had other losses, but there is a loss that significantly defines you. I have lost my mom, I lost my grandmother. I've lost all of my in-laws, uh, except, uh, except for uh, my husband's stepmother, who is very dear to me. I've lost mm -hmm. these people, but the one loss that is the most significant, that completely altered who Nichelle is as a person, is Adrian. Yeah. And so there are still years that years later, why did this happen? Because the entire world changed. It, it, we, we can see with the pandemic, but the pandemic, everything became virtual. Um, right. I can remember as a little girl, I'm, a, I'm Gen X. I can remember as a very little girl, I still remember the milkman. Oh, yeah. I, uh -huh. I do too. <laughs> grocery deliveries. And so look what the pandemic did. It rolled all of that back. It right. brought things being delivered to that. So everything shifted, everything changed. Um, I teach online uh, yeah. rather than in person, everything, everything shifted. Some things are good because of the shift and mm -hmm. some things have gotten lost in translation. And that, that significant death, that, trying to trying to fit back into the mold of who I was before. Mm. Yeah. Doesn't work. I have to I had to learn who and we go we throw go through this iteration uh many times. I've yeah. recently gone through empty nest. Oh, um, yep. And someone uh coined the phrase, I cannot claim it myself, hens homeschool empty nest syndrome because I oh. feel school emptiness. I'm getting there. Yes. Yeah, it, it is. It is because you've poured so much into your kids and your life has been about your kids. Yeah. And then it, it it's another loss. It's yeah. it, you just it, because that relate those relationships are so close. Yeah. And um, it makes the, that parting 
even more difficult and whether the parting was on good terms or bad terms. And I know in our family, it's not always been on good terms that our kids have left and that Mm -hmm. that's a whole nother grieving process. Right. Right. But, but yeah, it's, um, it is harder because you're not used to giving them up every day. Right. They're, they're used to being in your home and, and yes. And so, you know, so your grief was compounded by having, poured so much into your daughter. And like you had said, your, your argument with God about, you know, why did you allow me to do this and to pour this much into this child to only have this result. And, Mm -hmm. and yet God was so compassionate towards you and in showing you what you did for her eternal um, place and life. Also think about if I, when I think about what would have happened if we had not listened mm. to uh, the the still small voice telling us that homeschooling was was for us, yes, we got to spend every single day with her. Oh, absolutely, every single day. Uh, and so for that, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, sometimes uh, when I would be in the support group, uh, in the grief support groups. I would hear so much regret. I didn't really get to know them or they had a whole life outside of me. Hmm. I didn't have that testimony. Every single day with her. And I, for that, I am absolutely so grateful. So great. It's amazing. Yeah. And my, and for my other children as well, even though they have had the nerve to grow up. um, (laughs) That's it. Uh, how dare they, <laughs> uh, but, uh, being a, to have the privilege, of right. having, uh, spent all of that time, uh, that even, even though, uh, the transition was difficult, uh, you know, w- with our youngest, I was enmeshed in her activities. I was, she was a girl scout and she, uh, she, uh, earned her bronze, silver, and gold awards in Girl Scouts. Um, So I was accustomed to, you know, taking her, driving her everywhere. And then all of a sudden, nowhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And it's... Yeah, it, it it's interesting you talking to other homeschool veterans because um, you know we never think we're going to reach this point, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we do, right. <laughs> and we're like, okay, well that's over and done. <laughs> so know? many of our uh, so many of my friends like they you know they continue to have children, so they're you know it's going to be a long it, yes. time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, absolutely. But, but, you know, it changes us. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing that um, through our stories that we're sharing this month, that um, new homeschool moms don't realize, you know, we see, like, when we were first starting, you know, we saw those people way ahead of us. And then we didn't have a whole lot of examples because homeschooling was illegal before we started. Um, Or maybe when we were starting. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, And but you saw those people and you're like, wow, you know, that, that I could never be like that person. And now here you are and the, the trials and the ups and downs, the, the experiences that God has given you has made your story and you into who God knew that he was molding and shaping your, yourself as well as your family. And and those are the stories that are most impactful because we've leaned into him and we've trusted him um, and his will, not the hopes and dreams we had to, you know, graduate our child at 13 and send them to college, <laughs> which, you know, would would have been nice. But that it's not everybody's story. Children and they were like the model and like everybody had master's degrees at 15. And yeah, <laughs> like, why can't you be like that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for sharing your story um, and sure. just being so real with us um, about the, the process that you and your family went through as you just grieved your daughter's loss. Um, but but just continued um, through homeschooling, through life um, and and have triumphed over that um, the ways that God has shown you 
how to, and being able to support others too. And I think that's, you know, really what our stories are about. It's just, we give hope to others. Um, like you have talked many times throughout this hour is just, you know, we, we, we make it through a day, we make it through a week, we make it through a year, we, we learn how to process, and then we, we mirror, we work yes. alongside one another, um, and, and we embrace grief the way we grieve. Um, and we embrace other people's grief the way they grieve and um, not be judgmental in that, but, but just loving and, and being willing to um, just take one day at a time mm-hmm. for the gift that it is. And so thank you so much. I would love for you as we close to talk a little bit about your business too and um, how you help homeschoolers because um, Michelle has a, a wonderful resource for you and I want her to be able to share that as well. Yes. So during the pandemic, when everything moved online, uh, my daughters and I started a business where we are able to provide history education and government education to homeschool teens. Uh, my, uh, so one of the things that uh, I had to do as a, a bereaved mom trying to help a new, new teenager navigate through life as a t- it was to find out where her interests were. And, uh, and so I got dragged down the rabbit hole of history. Like history <laughs> was her thing. And so we both have degrees in history now. Uh, and so we uh, provide history education. Uh, our youngest daughter, her uh, political science is her thing. And so she teaches uh, government uh, classes. We're in the process of developing some asynchronous courses, but at, uh, in the past we've taught just live. Uh, but uh college prep history classes taught by uh, history professionals who are passionate about history. Oh, like, that's we just amazing. love history. Uh, so um, we are available, you know, sometimes this was something that I needed to learn. Uh, I had to outsource some, th- outsource some things uh, while grieving with a teenager. And so she was uh, uh, able to, we had just, in the Austin area started homeschool co-ops. And so (laughs) having her find another trusted adult to be accountable to, you know, we Mm -hmm. homeschool moms, we assign a paper or whatever and we say, okay, we want it done by noon on Friday and noon on Friday comes and we've got like three sentences. (laughs) Right. Like, you know, it's just mom. Well, one of the things that this particular daughter has taught me is that even when she got to uh, college, she had some challenges with time management. Because in the homeschool setting, um, we don't have these deadlines. And so it's important to find a trusted adult that your children can learn to be accountable to. Uh, And and, and also, we really believe that history should be taught in community. It should be taught Mm -hmm. in with exchanging ideas. Learning it out of a workbook is going to go in one ear and out the other. Right. Yes. Yeah. History is, is about stories. It's, it's the impact of of lives lived and decisions made and all of those things. Um, So much more impactful when, when you have that, that passionate person Um, and, and also just that, that ability to dialogue and process Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that. Um, We just recently visited the, the military vehicles museum out in, um, in Du Bois, uh, Wyoming. It was fascinating. And we got the tour from the owner and, and people said that just makes it even better. And it, Mm -hmm. it did. I mean, we spent just two hours and we barely made it through the museum just in showing us these vehicles that he had collected. So, um, so yeah, I, I totally get it. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that's awesome. Well, I, I hope that our community will reach out to you. Um, I know a lot of parents at this time are thinking about what are we going to do for next year? So if you're mm-hmm. trying to think of what to do for, for history, for some of those um, upper grade levels, um, reach out to Nichelle and her, her family um, and, and see what they have to offer. And so we'll make sure that that link is also in the description. Thank you again, Nichelle. This um, was such a delightful um 
an encouraging conversation. Um, and and thank you for just for being open and willing to share your story. It um, it was very impactful, and you had so much um, good good advice and wisdom to share. My pleasure. My pleasure. Always uh, always available to talk to those who need to know someone else has experienced what we have gone through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, appreciate that. Um, it's, it gives others hope and we need a lot of that in this world. Absolutely. So, so yeah, well, we're going to continue these conversations with um, homeschool veterans and actually I'm doing all of them this week. Um, since I was on vacation, um, for the last month. Um, but Karina Moss is going to be with us on Thursday night, and she's going to talk to us about being a homeschool overcomer and her journey from fear to freedom and and how she moved past all the fears she had um, to homeschool with a newfound freedom that um, she wants to share with you. So that'll be um, Thursday night, and I hope you can join us then. Um, make sure also to or to check out um, Nichelle's website at Warp and Weft History com and then the one resource that she shared with us was compassionatefriends.org if you're looking for grief support as a family um, and that you said that was a national organization yes correct? it is mm-hmm. yes awesome well I just want to thank you all for for joining us for this um, broadcast of empowering homeschool conversations God bless everyone and thanks again Michelle and we'll see you all next time okay. bye bye take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on this podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. This has been Empowering Homeschool Conversations with Peggy Ployer. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.